0: You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the '80s, '90s, and 2000s.
1: So when he sent the drawing back to Bugs Hardaway, he put on there Bugs Hyphen Bunny. We were not terribly profound, but when we looked up. (laughs) <laughs> and saw this thing and said, Bugs Bunny, well, naturally all the Catholics looked up and said, okay, God, we'll take it from here.
0: Looney Tunes animator Chuck Jones, today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Just about everyone recognizes that music, and it means that for the next few minutes... You're going to be entertained by an old favorite like Bugs Bunny, or Daffy Duck, or Porky Pig, or The Roadrunner. Helping create all of those and many more was the brilliant animator Chuck Jones. Starting in 1933, Jones and his colleagues at Warner Brothers cranked out hundreds of cartoons, many of which have become classics. In 1989, Chuck Jones finally wrote his memoir, a beautiful, heavily illustrated book called Chuckamuck. And that's when I had the chance to meet him and talk with him. So here now from nineteen eighty nine, Chuck Jones.
1: We never made made films for children or adults. We hadn't any idea who the audience was. And fortunately for us there was no such thing as Nielsen readings or demographics or the first critic hadn't been born, so we just our uh, and all of our films were made for theaters. It's to be on the big screens. We we had to be a little more careful that we that stuff was worth looking at, as well as hoping to be laughed at or with. So, uh, since we, I said, since we didn't know what we were doing, the only the only recourse we had was to try to make each other laugh. So we did just that, and we figured that if that if we were common enough, like um, Jose Ulysses S. Grant said, I, he said, I'm a I'm an ordinary man, but I work harder at it than the ordinary man. <laughs> so I guess that we uh, we we worked a little harder
0: at it than most most uh, cartoonists did. But it's incredible to think that they've that they've not only survived but thrived after all these years. When you did no focus groups, no pre-testing, no market uh, net demographic to see, oh well, now see, we better have. Uh, actually, you know, it occurred to me if you'd done all that, you probably would not have had characters who lisped or had speech impediments, because that might be offensive to some children. Oh, it would have been dreadful.
1: No, the but uh, the speech impediments. Everybody has a certain kind of speech impediments. Otherwise, everybody would talk the same. <laughs> it's only when they become more obvious. But it, as in uh, Bugs Bunny's, I mean, in the Porky Pig's case, in a Friz uh, Freeling purse used in a picture called I Haven't Got a Hat, and it was a little boy who stuttered and was trying to get through the uh midnight ride of Paul Revere. And he never got past uh, saying, listen, my children usually hear the me 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 He never got past midnight. At any rate, uh, we discovered after a while that 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 uh and That it was not funny in itself to stutter, but it was funny if it became if it became something quite different, and that is, a, a Porky would say, um, if he was going to Mars, for instance, or to Planet X, as he did in Doctor Dudgeon's twenty fourth and a half century. He would say, oh, it's very simple, sir. I can, uh, all you have to do to find planet, why uh, uh, planet R, uh, planet uh, uh, Uranus, uh, uh, Mars, uh, uh, planet X. <laughs> see he, he can't find the word, which is quite a different thing than stuttering for, the, for uh, mm. reasons uh, a little different. Uh, I don't know. Many people don't realize that uh, Somerset, oh, i stammered. Stambridge is the most horrifying of all because you can't get the word out. You'll come up and say, thank you very much, and then they'll be hesitating. The guy will jerk his head, and he can't get it out. But they said that he was um, receiving a prestigious award uh, in England, and, and all of the great literary lights of England were attending this banquet. And he got up, and uh, and he said, uh, he said, there are very many advantages in getting old. And he went, like that. And, of course, all these people were trying to whistle. They, they, they couldn't whistle, but they were they were embarrassed, you know. They couldn't know what to say. And finally he held up his hand. And he said, I'm not stammering. He said, I just
0: can't remember one of them. <laughs> 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 now, when you mentioned Porky, it was, it was, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in a Porky Pig cartoon that Bugs Bunny first appeared, wasn't it? Well, yeah, I guess so. Um, or the character that became Bugs Bunny.
1: Yeah, well, Bugs, uh, Bugs Bunny got his name from a man... Named Bugs Hardaway, who—that's uh, the way you called people in those days. He was a newspaper man and on the Kansas City Star, and that, and he got that that name, uh, Bugs Bayer and and uh, and Bugs Hardaway, Red Smith, people of this kind, of things. At any rate, the the name Bugs came about because he wanted a drawing of a rabbit. He didn't draw particularly well himself, so he um, he sent this drawing. Uh, he called in a man named Charles Thorson, who was very good at drawing. And Charles made a drawing of them of some rabbits. They didn't look very much like Bugs Bunny does now, but they were a rabbit in that sense of having long ears and a, t- and a little fluffy tail. So when he sent the drawing back to Bugs Hardaway, uh, several drawings of a rabbit, uh, he put on there Bugs hyphen bunny. And if it had been mine, we would have said Chuck's bunny. Well, we we were we were not terribly profound, but when we looked up and saw this thing and it said Bugs Bunny, well, naturally all the Catholics looked up and said, "Okay, God, we'll take it from here." And <laughs> That's a perfect right. name for the rabbit. We didn't have it. We didn't, he was just a nutty rabbit, is all we knew. But... Watch out, Jack. But Bugs, is there something rather, rather splendid about
0: the name Bugs Bunny? Do you think people would, will find it surprising, though, that his, his persona as we know it today was not apparent from, from frame one?
1: No, no, of course not. So many characters start, uh, in live action as well as, as animation, they start without any particular pretense at, at the logic, and logical behavior. Well, he didn't either, and, uh, uh, in, in the very early Chaplin films, um, uh, anybody who, who who's seen them realizes they were just just slapstick, with little hesitates, but mainly slapstick. And then, as he got better acquainted with the character, it became more, uh, it became calmer, it became more interesting, more dashing. Uh, in many ways, the same thing happened with Bugs. That Bugs was nuts in the first picture, very funny, and that was the first time in Tex Avery's. I picture the wild hare, the Warner Brothers is celebrating his 50th birthday next year. And, um, Bugs fortunately started out gray, so he didn't have to get gray as <laughs> he got old. <laughs> That's right.
0: We couldn't have him get white, then he, he'd look like Peter Rabbit or something. So, uh. uh you know, I, I I always knew there were little inside jokes in cartoons. Sure. But I didn't realize the extent of all of them until I started, uh, reading your text and then noticing there was even one in here where the, uh, uh on the police radio, the, all the, the, yeah. uh, the, the known suspects, and it's yeah. got, it's got C.M. Jones and it's got, C. M. Jones, and C. M. It's got Jones. Frizz Freeling. And Norman, Norman. Moray, who was the, who was, the, who was actually the man who uh, was the head
1: of the Warner Brothers distribution in New York, and uh, oh yeah, we put things like that in. Uh, the man I did our lettering was named Don Foster, and he made a point of uh, if he was doing a street scene, why he'd uh, he'd have her. He put his, his his daughter's name in there, like Donna Foster's Dancing Academy, or some, something of this kind, and much the way that uh, the great uh, Hirschfield. Uh, always puts his daughter's name in all his drawings, Nina. And uh, if you look there, you'll always find it. It's it's sometimes hidden in the hair or in in wrinkles or whatever, but uh, that's his little gag.
0: After this short break, the Looney Tunes character who almost never made it off the drawing board. Now back to my 1989 interview with Chuck Jones. I think one of the things that I found in your book that I could most agree with was when you said that there is in each of us a little Daffy, a little Bugs, a little Porky, a little Elmer, those are universal traits that are in all of us.
1: I think this is true. I always like to associate with great great, uh, comedians um, and at least try to say that I, I was trying to understand the way they did it too. But all of them, that, that's the basis of all humor. You have, first you, I think you have to, you have to have sympathy. And sympathy will, will, uh, well, uh, believability first. And I don't mean that Bugs Bunny has to look like any other rabbit. He's believable as Bugs Bunny in the same sense that all of us are individuals. And then, then you have to find out how with a character as strong as that, unlike Davy, can we get, when can we get sympathy? And the way we do it with Bugs Bunny is to always start him out in a rabbit in a, in a rabbit hole or in a carrot patch or someplace where you'd naturally find a rabbit. And someone comes along tries to tries to remove him from the earth or to cut off his foot or, or bake him or do some other, well, you might say basically unfriendly act. Oh, white rabbit, I know you're there. If you're not out in
0: ten seconds, I'll blast you out.
1: And then he fights back. So, with Bugs, Bugs' case, once you've established that, then you have hopefully have sympathy for him. And the, the only kind of humor that's really worth anything is sympathetic humor. And that's what you were talking about there. If you recognize in the character uh, traits that you know full well but are unwilling to admit in yourself, then you're getting someplace. Um, think of Chaplin and, uh, and, and Buster Keaton and, uh, and today, Richard Pryor and, uh, and Robin Williams they're all of the same cut there. And one of the basic things about comedy, I think is that a comedian is never trying to get anything very big. He's not trying to revise the world. What he's trying to do is to get something to eat, to get a girl in the case of Pepe Le Pew to get a boy, perhaps any other way around. Uh, but it's always a question of, uh, of small things. And our life is made up of a whole series of small things. Most of which we do inadequately. Uh, I've known carpenters that will hit their thumbs, so it's perfectly natural for us to hit our
0: thumbs. <laughs> That's right. Now you mentioned Pepe Le Pew. Now he almost did not come to be. Did he? I mean, he was—he was almost killed on the on the drawing board as a Well, he—he
1: well, he, he, uh, the producer that we had, uh, an insufferable little man by the name of Eddie Selzer, <laughs> uh, who was given the job by Jack Warner because he was the. He was the person on the Warner Brother lot who hated laughter the most. So I figured that would make a perfectly logical person to put in charge. And um, so he said, oh, nobody's going to like that. And, uh, what, what do you mean? What, what's all this business about all this dumb, uh, well, fractured French? He said, there's nothing funny about it. Nobody's going to laugh at that.
0: Permit me to introduce
1: you myself. I am Pepe Le Pew, your lover. But I, I found that no matter what he said, he was always wrong. So I figured if I take the obverse path uh, to Eddie Selzer's, I would always be right.
0: Now that's something else you said that I'd never thought about before. But it's so, so true that you said that you can't have creativity without opposition, yeah. without without somebody yeah. telling you not what what you can't yeah. do. When he says don't do a bullfight, there's nothing funny about bullfights. You do a bullfight.
1: That's right. You, yeah. you need the, but you do need that that uh, the opposition. I use something like playing polo without horses or tennis without a net. <laughs> uh, obviously, this is not a, doesn't make much of a much of a uh, a contest. You need it uh, in this book. I uh, I ran into quite a different situation. The the great uh, uh, editor that I worked with, Linda Healy, uh, I hated many times hated her suggestions, but she was almost inevitably right. And that's a great deal of difference with with any soldier. I could not automatically say because Linda was in favor; of it, it was quite the opposite. I discovered that I was the I was the lack of net. I mean, when she said something, she was almost that's her business. She's a she has you have to be. A, I think a very good writer to be a very good editor. I don't think you have to necessarily practice so. But Mark Twain used to used to say that when he got a piece of beautiful prose that he couldn't live without, and wrote it in, in my. He called it, and he'd look at it, and he realized that the, the writing went along very nicely, and all of a sudden, like a balloon, uh, here came this beautiful piece of purple prose <laughs> rising out of the ashes of his straight-ahead dialogue. And so so he said that after he read it, or two or three days later, when he read it to his wife, uh, they called it Murdering My Darlings, and that meant that you had a phrase. If you ever have a phrase, when you, as a writer, if you ever have a phrase, that's so good you can't believe it, you know it's wrong, because it doesn't fit in. Of uh, course, that's why poetry is so great. Because all the fats out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: True. When you make appearances like this, you're on, you're on an author tour now. Uh, is is there one character you're asked to draw more than others?
1: Well, people ask. Uh, I, I I think people, of course, ask for for Bugs Bunny. But I but I think the the basic reason for that is that uh, that again, Bugs is an aspiration. We sure as the devil would like to be like Bugs. Uh, we'd like to have the, the control he has, the physical and mental nimbleness.
0: He's is, so cool uh, about it It's
1: uncharacteristic of ourselves. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but with Daffy, you have a character who really, uh, really acts the way we, we do, only he carries it further.
0: I'm gifted. I'm just slumping over
1: with talent. Uh, as I uh, mentioned that Daffy is the only one that can be overbearing and uh, fawning at the same time. Or, or can rush in and fear to tread at the same time, which is, But he carries his, his courage, carries him further than most of us who, and, and when we reach a point where, the, where uh, we're afraid of of, of social censor
0: of what people think of us,
1: right? And, but Daffy, that, that would never stop Daffy.
0: <laughs> Are the days of full animation gone except for Roger Rabbit, which we'll see six minutes out before a movie in the theater?
1: <laughs> well, I didn't, and the, the movie, I didn't care much for Roger Rabbit. Really? Uh, the, the basic reason I didn't was because I didn't care for him. I'm talking as an audience, not as a director. Um, uh, if I'd been asked to direct it, it would have been a different kind of a story. Not necessarily better, but it was, a, it was a, a tour de force of technical excellence. There's no question about that. But when you came out of it, did you care about Roger Rabbit? That's the point. And uh, that, whether it's live action or animation, it's like uh, Jerry Lewis at his worst is one of the most unpleasant characters that ever lived. When he, when he worked with Dean Martin, that was his net. That was his pole playing polo with a horse. Uh, he, he needed it. But when he went off by himself, he was just crazy most of the time. I think one of the reasons the French like him so much is because they believe that when he's acting what he calls comedy... He is bearing out their supposition that all Americans are vulgar, and and they like that, so they worship him, you know.
0: Chuck Jones died in 2002. He was 89 years old. And you can find easy Amazon links to Chuck Jones' books at our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with the man who did the voices for all of those characters, the immortal Mel Blanc. They come up to me and say, Hey, Mel, can you do a Porky Pig? And I'll say, Please, please not
1: now. I mean, I'm buying stuff.
0: And you can hear my interview with another favorite American cartoonist, Peanuts creator Charles Schultz. The biggest and most difficult thing is to create these broad new themes like uh,
1: Lucy pulling away the football and her psychiatric booth, Linus's blanket, Schroeder's playing the piano, Snoopy's chasing the Red Baron.
0: And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeart, and many more. And thanks for listening next time on now i've heard everything it's a somber anniversary 40 years ago this week the president of egypt anwar sadat was assassinated in an attempted military coup so we'll revisit my 1988 interview with his widow jihan sadat what happened to my husband is haunting my mind all the time because it happened in front of my eyes. I was just a few meters behind him when he was assassinated. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.